0: I'm so glad that the worship team chose to sing that song before our message today. Thank you, Jesus. You rescued me. Thank you, Jesus. You set me free. We have a God who's not just interested in our eternity. He's not just interested in what is coming, but he's interested in now. He's interested in today. And I just want to tell you as we are continuing this powerful series on finding God in the dark that I hope it's it's touched a little bit of everyone in this room to know that no matter what situation we're in, that God is in the dark with us, that he is not, we are not without hope, we are not without promise, we are not without deliverance, but it's good sometimes to look and to look deep into the problems that a lot of us have and are overwhelmed with and need deliverance from, to really hear what does the Bible have to say, what does scripture have to say, and what do people have to say about how God has brought them deliverance? And so today the message is about financial debt. And I am not a financial expert, I am not a financial guru. There are plenty of people, uh, plenty of resources. Uh, throughout, uh, you know, you can find online. There's there's lots of different Christian um, perspective programs. In fact, we've done a program called Financial Peace. Most of you are familiar. Maybe with Dave Ramsey, we've offered that program here in the past. And uh, there are a lot of resources. In fact, the Bible talks a lot about debt. It talks a lot about money. There's a lot of scriptures about it. But today, I wanted to really zero in and focus on being in the dark of it. Because today, I I can't give you uh, some sort of magic formula. I can give you some practical things, but the reality is that all of us uh, at some point in our life, even if not right now, have struggled, have had issues, have had problems that are related to finances. So I want to pray just one more time before we start, and I just pray today Uh, that this message will really touch someone's heart and that someone would really see the impact of what God wants to do this morning. Is that all right? Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you so much for the opportunity to to look into scripture and to talk about, um, Lord, what you have for us and how you have not left us alone. Thank you, Lord, for for the clarity of mind and for the energy and the strength that I need today. Lord, to present this message to your people. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So just before we get started, why don't you help me and turn to a neighbor of yours. Say, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. He's the God of tomorrow. Try the other person on the other side. Give them a quick crash course. If they don't know what we're doing, just help them out real quick. Just show them. Say, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. He's my God Of tomorrow. Debt is not a subject that is unfamiliar with most of us, at least those who are adults. Debt is a very real thing. Financial debt is a very real thing. In fact, behind the tapestry of scripture and the narrative, the biblical narrative of scripture and salvation really is a storyline of debt. That the gospel is about the debt that we owed. It wasn't money. It wasn't finances. But it was really the debt that we accumulated as humans. The debt of sin. That the payment, the price of that bill that we ran up is what? It's death. The story of salvation is a story. Is a, there's a tapestry. There's a golden thread of this story of debt. And salvation is not just transactional. That Jesus paid our debt on the cross it's not just a transactional thing it wasn't just that Jesus wrote a check and paid for all of the sins and that was it it was that Jesus blood and his power and his redemption and the story of salvation is about keeping us from occurring more debt keeping us from continuing down the path that we've been living in and not only does it just trickle down from that it also affects the debt that others owe us because if we have been forgiven, we ought to forgive. I had one person say amen, but that's okay. So, so debt is very uh, much our reality and affects us spiritually. It affects who we are and how we live, especially financial debt. And if any of you have ever been into the darkness of financial debt, you know how much it hurts. You know how much it aches you. And you know that even though everything else in your life may seem to be good, there's some connection between your spiritual life and being in the darkness of financial debt. I've got some statistics on debt and debt, and I want to give you a few. The first um, that I found, and and most of these were were pretty easy to find, but kind of looking through some of these different statistics, I thought would be important to just share to kind of set this up. Let me give you some statistics on American debt. I'm just gonna give you a few of them. This is from from NASDAQ. It's a report that was done by NerdWallet last year, 2017. Here are a few few statistics for you. The total pool of consumer debt has surpassed $1.3 trillion. Total debt of Americans of consumer debt over $1.3 trillion. The median student loan, this ought to get somebody's attention, of a person who has attended some sort of college is more than $50,000. $50,000 for the average person who's attended college in some way or even finished, $50,000. The average median debt from college. The average... Uh, American credit card debt household is $5,000. The average mortgage debt, not the average mortgage, but the average mortgage that is owned, the debt that is owned on a loan, is $173,000. The average auto loan exceeds $30,000. And personal loans and other debts are more than $10,000. Per household. So statistically in this room, a lot of us are in debt. A lot of us in this room can identify with some of those statistics. You know, it's also interesting too that when you look at the statistic of divorce, that the, out of the top four reasons for divorce, how many of you would guess what money or debt is. How many of you guessed? Put a finger up. Somebody said one, one, one. Pretty close. It's it's supposed to be two, right? Infidelity is supposed to be one, but I, I'd make a strong case for financial debt being one and, and, and fide- infidelity being number two just because of the conflict that's created in the home. I like this definition of kind of describing what this financial... Uh, cause and money uh, for, for divorce is. It says, money makes people funny, or so the saying goes, and it's true. This is a very casual definition. Everything from different spending habits to financial goals to one spouse making considerably more money than the other, causing a power struggle, can strain a marriage to the breaking point. Sometimes when we My wife helped couples who are getting married. We talk about debt. We talk about those discussions because the reality is sometimes you can bring a financial problem into a marriage because of how you live when you're single or when you're not married. Number two reason for marriages to have problems, actually to have divorce, is financial troubles. But as I said, I might argue that that may be one of the most major problems that are caused in a marriage, but no 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 debts to support that, so we 'll just throw it away. This is interesting. I thought you might want to see this is some statistics i can 't say statistics it 's really hard to say that word I said about six thank you stats i 've got some stats on on churches and giving. I thought this was pretty interesting eight this is interesting eight out of ten people give church give to churches who have zero debt isn't that interesting some people don't like to give to a church that's in debt they like to give towards churches who already have debt no debt and i will say one thing that i love about this church is that we have approached Uh, That sort of philosophy that when we uh, raised and did our fundraising and did our project for our Comm Hall expansion and when we continue to do phase two and look out towards the front and, and all the other things that we want to do, you know, part of the things that we don't jump into it is because we really do believe and value that there is freedom and that there's a power for ministry to not have a church that's in debt. And I really want to just pause and, and praise the Lord for, for your continued giving, for your generosity, for your faithfulness. I think we ought to give God praise. We, we have that loan. If you ever want to know the statistics on the loan that we did have, we are really killing it. We are doing amazing. I thought we ought to give God praise for, our, for your faithfulness as a congregation. We're doing awesome. Here's some more stats on giving. So keep giving. Keep tithing. Here's some more interesting things. Tithers this is on average, only make up 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. Now, in the Adventist church, statistically, ah, I tried. It's it's actually right around of the percentage of members who give is about 33%. That means one-third of members, not people who attend, But members actually give. So actually, the Adventist church overall has a higher tithe percentage. But just imagine what would happen if even two-thirds were to give. Here's what it says. Churches that accept tithing online increase overall donations by 32%. Praise God, Doug. Only only 5% tithe. And 80% of Americans only give 2% of their income. Here's an interesting one. The average giving by adults who attend a U.S. Protestant church is about $17 a week. The average person gives about $17 a week. Now, there's a lot of reasons for those statistics. There's there's a lot of things behind that. And while our message today is not on giving or on tithing, It is interesting how those things connect because I know if you've ever been in a dark season, if you've ever been in a dark situation, you understand how it affects you spiritually. And some of you may feel like, man, I want to do more. I want to give more. But right now, I'm just not able to. Right now, I'm just in a crisis. And right now, I just don't see my way. I want to show you a text as we consider a few texts this morning. Let's go. To the book of Matthew, chapter six, and I want to give you some perspective on this because Jesus talks about this a lot. He talks about uh, being in in debt. He talks about money a lot in Scripture. It's amazing. Here in uh, Matthew chapter six, beginning at verse nineteen—or excuse me, yeah, verse nineteen—I went too far. Uh, beginning at verse nineteen, we're going to read all the way to verse thirty-four. Jesus says it this way. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there your desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is the lamp of the body that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, the whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, the whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness how deep that darkness is jesus just to pause there for a second begins to explain this perspective of darkness based on how you see what you see what is jesus setting up jesus saying if you don't think it's that bad it's actually darker than it really is if you just think this is not that bad just imagine how dark it actually could be if the light you think you have is actually darkness how deep that darkness actually is. So Jesus is setting something up. Here, let's look at verse 24, right? No one can serve two masters. For you hate one or love the other. You can be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is what I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries, there's that worry again, right? Worries add up to a single moment in your life. Jesus is on to something, isn't he? Verse 28, and why, what's that word again? Worry about your clothes. Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully about wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? That would be a good place to stop. But Jesus is not finished. He's getting ready to drop the mic. Verse 31. So don't worry about these things. Saying what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. See, he's making a connection here. To worrying and faith and unbelief. You see that? But your heavenly father already knows what you need knows all your needs seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need that's a great place to drop the mic but Jesus is not done and this is where I want to lift and focus and and zero in because this is what intrigued me what Jesus says in verse 34 so don't worry there's that word again about what? For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I'm intrigued by this. I'm intrigued by the personification, that's a good word, of, <laughs> of tomorrow. He 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 makes tomorrow seem like a person. So think about read this, read this in a way. That makes it sound like tomorrow is the name of a person. Let's read again in that, with that in your mind. Can we do that? So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring his or her own worries. Today today's trouble is enough for today. I think it's amazing that Jesus is, intre- is lifting this. Here's the question I want to wrestle with with you this morning. How do you see tomorrow? That's the question I want to raise. It's a little philosophical. But I want you to think about this. How do you see tomorrow? Now what am I talking about? It's interesting Because tomorrow, as Jesus is kind of explaining this, and when he's describing this, Jesus is a man on the earth. Jesus is in the flesh. He is Jesus, the God-man. And so Jesus is living in a very real reality of time and tomorrow. He has willingly put himself in a context of humanity and time. And so Jesus in his humanity and in his, God, in his divinity at the same time, Jesus is saying and living and practically living out, not worrying about tomorrow. Jesus didn't have a home. He didn't have a job. He didn't have a 401K. He didn't have a car. He didn't have anything. Jesus literally lived a life that did not worry about tomorrow. Jesus was dependent on people to feed him. He was he would he would wait for people to, to have a place to stay. Jesus Jesus was not like a part time pastor. Like he wasn't going to work in his carpenter shop and then going preach. Like Jesus wasn't bivocational. Jesus was very he was very humble. He lived with what he had, and he didn't have much. And Jesus lived very practically thinking about tomorrow and what was in the rear view of tomorrow for him what Jesus what not rear view what was in front of Jesus was this going to the cross was this finishing the work was accomplishing the mission and so what was before him helped dictate his decisions and the decisions he made today what was before him helped him decide what was important today how do you see tomorrow? Let me give you some, some parables that Jesus gave. First, look at Mark. I got a couple scriptures, so get your Bibles. We're going to need them this morning. Look at Luke chapter 12. Look at Luke chapter 12. Some of you are familiar with this parable, but look what Jesus says. Um, here, someone kind of challenges Jesus here in verse 13. Then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide my father's estate with me. What kind of, What kind of request is that? Hey, Jesus, I need you to Settle this financial issue. Look how Jesus replies. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Jesus got a lot to say about money, doesn't he? Then he told him a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I will, look. watch this, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. He didn't say, I'm going to build more barns. I'm going to tear down the barns I already have and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods, and I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away, for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now I've got a friend in Seattle, he's about 75 years old, and he always uses this text to explain why he refuses to retire. He says, this is the only story of retirement in the Bible, and look what happens to him. <laughs> That's what he says all the time. Where are we at? He says, I'm gonna tear down the barns, right? I got barns. Got a lot of stuff flowing. I'm really good. I really don't need much. Like, what I have is enough, but I got so much crop. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to build more barns. I'm going to tear the ones I got down, and I'm going to sit back, right? I'm going to say to myself, I'm good. I got enough. I'm going to eat, drink, and I'm going to be married. What did Jesus say? Verse 20. But God said to him, You fool. Maybe say like Mr. T, I pity the fool. <laughs> you will die this very night. No, I'm, listen, I'm not trying to scare him if you're retired, okay? That's what my friend said. Anyway, you will die tonight. Then who will get everything you work for? Why? Because he wants to tear down all the barns he had, not build the ones, new ones. Then verse 21 Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Take that home and think about how was he seeing tomorrow? He was seeing tomorrow as being the same as today. He was assuming that he was doing great today, that he'd be doing great tomorrow. In fact, he was doing so good He could tear down his barns and wait for new barns to be built and still be good. And he thought, I can just sit back and I can just be good and just relax because prosperity's flowing. And I had no idea. He has no idea that God is demanding of him his life that very night. So what legacy did he leave? Right. That's what Jesus is questioning. That's the way he saw tomorrow in that parable. Here's another one. Here's another parable. This is found in Matthew 18, and I believe that one of our Sabbath school class was studying this one today. Matthew 18 or Matthew 6? Matthew 6. Okay, good. So Matthew 18, look what it says. This is a powerful chapter about forgiveness. But beginning here at verse 21. Then Peter asked him, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. No, not seven times, Jesus replied. Seventy times seven. Then the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He could not pay. So his master ordered him to be sold along with his wife, children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged. Please be patient with me. I will pay it all. Then the master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant and owed him a few thousand dollars. Who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him. He begged for a little more time. Be patient with me. I'll pay it. He pleased, pleaded, but his creditor would not, wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of his other servants saw this, they were very upset. Then he went to the king and told him everything that had happened. The king called in the man who had he, who had forgiven him, who had forgiven, and said, "You evil servant, I forgave." That tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king set the men to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you who refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. That's a tough text. Somebody else can study that for another time. But what I want to lift from that parable is that this man, this example of a person who was in one day extremely in debt, right? He was in the darkness. He was was completely messed up. His life was a wreck. He was forgiven. And as soon as he was forgiven, what did he do? He forgot all about it. First parable, the man is only thinking about the future. This parable, he's completely forgotten about his past. He's forgiven, and as soon as he sees somebody else, he's chasing them down. Jesus is trying to get us to think about something. I'm going to rephrase that question. How do you see tomorrow? We understand that God is sovereign. And when I say he's sovereign, that means God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He can be all places and all time. It's, it's so deep. It's phenomenal. Take Dr. Smith's class on Sabbath school, and you'll hear about it, I'm sure. But I believe something interesting. When I was preparing for this, God hit me with something I thought was really interesting, that God has the ability, if he chooses, to experience the past, the future, and, oh, I did it wrong. The past, the present, and the future in whatever way he wants to experience it. And you know what was interesting? We are made in his image. Here's the thought that I have. We have that same ability. I wrote this down. We have the same ability to live in the future and in the past. Sometimes when we find ourselves in the dark, especially financially, we can find ourselves there because we are only living in the past or forgetting about it, only living in the past. That's it. You know, these were the good old days, right? I'm just going to put my money under my mattress. (laughs) The good old days, we did this. Only living in the past. Well, you know, I used to make money this way. I'm sure I can do it again. I used to get things this way. I'm sure I could do it again. I'm sure I could come back. Or just completely forgetting about it. We can also live only in the future. Sometimes, I remember those days, I would have already spent my whole check before I got it. I just spent it in my brain, right? Some of you Amazon junkies, right? You got all your lists in Amazon. Come on, be honest. Got wish lists. All you got to do is click a button. You have already spent your money before you even come because you are living in the future. Right? Not, not, not necessarily thinking about the past. I'm just, I'm, it'll be better if we did this. It would be awesome if we moved here. I, I would be so much more happy if I did this. And then sometimes... We can only live in the present, not thinking about the future, not thinking about the past. How do you view tomorrow? It's very interesting that it's connected to the darkness because sometimes how you view tomorrow will be directly related to how you are doing today. What's going to happen tomorrow? Are you excited about what's going to happen tomorrow? Are you terrified about what's going to happen tomorrow? Are you you excited about the possibilities of tomorrow? Are you terrified of what could happen tomorrow? It's a dark place. It's a painful place. And I love what Deuteronomy verse 8 says. Verse 18 says, this is when God was uh, bringing his people into the promised land. I love what he told them. And it's in the uh, New International Version, it reads this way. But remember the Lord your God, for he is the one who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as it is today. I love what God says here. He says, I am the one who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Tuck that away. I love this verse, too. This, this is in Proverbs 11, verses 24 through 26. It's read this way in the message. It says it this way. The world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed, those who help others are helped. If God is the one who gives us the ability to gain wealth, if he gives us the ability to have wealth, there is a reason for it. God wants us to have wealth so that we can be a blessing. If you Go back to Genesis 12 and you look at the patriarch. Abraham, it was the call of Abraham to say, I will make you a rich, I will bless you. I'm going to make you a nation, and I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And through you, the nations of the world will be blessed. God has given us the mandate and given us the responsibility to be a vessel and a conduit of blessing. He gives you the ability to either gain wealth or handle wealth so that you would be a blessing to other people. What you have and what you don't have is a blessing to other people. Some of you, you feel like, now wait a minute, God's not fair. Because there's some people that have lots of wealth and there's some people that don't have a lot of wealth. Well, wealth is very subjective. Because I can guarantee you that Steve Jobs wishes he was alive. Or he wishes while he had cancer that he didn't have it. You see what I'm saying? So wealth is very holistic in that perspective. But wealth is what God gives us. And sometimes what you don't have is good for you. Sometimes it's better for you with your teenage kids not to ha- for them to have their own bedroom. Come on, somebody ought to say amen, knows what I'm talking about. It's got a teenager in the house. Maybe it's better for you and her to not have two jobs, to have one income, because maybe if you had two jobs and you had two incomes, that you would never talk to each other. It is God who blesses us with the ability to gain wealth. I want to just encourage somebody who might just be feeling like, man, I'm in the dark right now. Pastor, you don't understand. Like, things are really bad. Things are not the way I wanted them to be. I had these plans and, and this happened to me and somebody got sick and I lost my husband and things just are not what I expected to be. I never thought I would be this place in my life and have to worry about this. I never thought I would be this age and have to worry about this. I thought I could have this career forever. I thought I could do this profession forever. I didn't realize that this market and this job and that this was going to go away. I'm, I'm too old to learn something different. I, I don't have time to go back to school I want to give you some hope and I want you to understand that God is the God of your tomorrow and I want you to see your tomorrow from God's perspective I want you to see your tomorrow from the perspective of hope I want you to dig deep and understand that there's something different that God may have for you that you may not realize that he has for you and if you just surrender to him if you just give it over to him that God can bring you into the tomorrow that he has for you. Because that's the God we serve. He's not just concerned about today, he's concerned about tomorrow. If you're in a, in a financial debt, if you're in a financial crisis, I want to I encourage you. Let me give you three practical things to encourage you. First, the thing I want to encourage you with is this you are not the provider. I need to come off the stage. this is going to be hard for a brother. This is going to be hard for a man. Charlie, this is going to be hard. You are not the provider. Let me go on this side. This is hard. Somebody said preach over here. Stay in the preaching section. You're not the provider. Everybody take a deep breath. Blow it out. Who gave you that? Because if you don't have that, nobody's going to work tomorrow. You're not the provider. God uses you to bless people. You may say, man, I hate that job. I can't stand working there. Well, you know what? It's not about you. Do you realize that sometimes you're at that job just so you can minister to somebody? Do you realize sometimes you're at that place just because somebody is watching you and you're mad about these fries you're cooking? Like, man, I'm tired of this place. I'm going to quit. I'm going to just take my shirt off and I'm going to just quit. And somebody's looking at you like, man, you know what? They are always on time. They always have Saturdays off. I don't understand that. God has chosen you to bless people. You're not the provider. I understand. We, we live in America, right? We're, hey, we're Americans, right? We work this out. I understand that. I understand that perspective. But that's not a biblical perspective. You're not the provider. Abraham teaches us that the call of the church and the call of God's people is to provide. And here's the blessing about not being the provider. That means God can provide you with more. That's what that means. That means God can say, you know what? I like the way they're handling that. I like their faithfulness. I like their attitude. I like the way they are. So you know what? I'm going to bless them with a little bit more because they can handle it. They can handle a little bit more. Here's the other thing. I want to give you something very practical. You're not the provider. You ought to take a deep breath on that. Praise God. Let me put myself in the position to be the best conduit of blessing I can be. Let me put myself in a position to receive everything that God has for me. Let me put myself in that position. Here's number two. Here's a good one. Here's something practical. If you're in, especially if you're in a financial crisis, I got to come out the stage again. I got to come out the stage, Miss Mary. Here's, here's, my, here's my counsel for you today, church. Don't run from it. Don't run from it. I never forget, this was pre-caller ID back in the day. I was running for my ex-wife. I think we've all, some of us have all been married to the same woman. Her name is Sally Mae. Ever (laughs) met that woman? I met her in college. (laughs) I needed her. She was there for me when I needed her most, right? (laughs) She was there for me. This girl I met in college named Sally Mae. And after I left school, things didn't work out so well. Tried to end the relationship. She wouldn't let it go. She was <laughs> clinging to me, sending me letters, <laughs> calling me all the time. So I thought I had dodged this broken relationship with Sal and May. I thought I got away. One day I was at the house with my friends. We were playing video games, watching the Final Four. And I, hear, I pick up the phone. Hello? Hello, can I speak to T? I was like, T? Yeah, can I speak to T? I was like, oh, yeah, this is T. Who is this? This is Tiffany from Sally Mae. I was like, oh, man. How did you find me? Finally, I had to surrender. I had to work it out with Sally Mae. We had to do some counseling. We had to end the relationship. I'm still paying alimony at this point. But I'm not running from her. Here's the thing. I, I know when, 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 if you've ever received that letter, you know the letter I'm talking about. If you've ever gotten that call, it, it just does something to you, especially as a man. It makes you feel like, man, I, I'm not providing. I put my family in a place of risk. If you've ever gotten that letter, if you've ever gotten that phone call, you know how it feels. Let me just encourage you, don't run from it. Just give it to God. Take that letter put it on the wall and before you go to bed every single day say god you are the god of my tomorrow you are my provider you know what i need you know what i want to do i want to bless this family i'm not going to run from it i'm going to embrace it because you're on my side and you're with me and there's nobody that can come against me i could i admit i made the mistake or whatever i did but god give me the courage and the strength to face it because i'm telling you there's something spiritually connected when you're in the dark so I want to encourage you, don't run from it. Next time they call, just answer, hello, how are you doing? Yep, still live at the same place, same number. I'll tell you what, I will send you $1 a month, I promise you. Don't run from it. Don't run from it. Just embrace it. Don't be afraid. Just embrace it. Here's the last one. I want to just give you one more little thing, just to encourage you. Again, I can't solve everybody's financial problems, but I can encourage you because I've been through them myself. And I'm still through some of it. Look, it's not, it's not easy. There's some things right now. There's some letters I don't want to open. There's some, there's some things that I'm looking at that, Lord, I'm scared to death. How am I going to deal with it? I want to encourage you. Here's the last one. My last one to encourage you with is wait it out. Wait it out. Wait it out. Here's my, here's my advice to you. We usually, well my, when we got married, my wife and I got married, probably about midway through, by the way, we're going to be celebrating 15 years. Yeah. Just a couple weeks. 15. Yeah. Praise God for her. She has not left me in 15 years. Man, that's a, that's a courageous woman. So we started this rule about year five. And it was the 24 or the 48-hour rule. So what we would do is we would say, if we knew we were going to buy something, even though we had the money for it, we would wait 24, actually we do two things, we, even if we had the money for it, we would wait 24 to 48 hours to buy it, and then secondly, we would always buy it in cash, because that hurt, I'm not talking about swipe, because when you swipe, you don't see it, you know, it's just, it's just magical, you put six hundred dollars out of your pocket, you be like, whoa, wait a minute. That's oh, that's six hundred dollars right there. That's a choir. It's a praise team of Benjamins. <laughs> I can't let the Benjamin praise team go. <laughs> wait it out. Sometimes, you know what? We we sometimes we feel like, man, it's so bad, like, who cares, right? It's so bad, I'm never gonna get out of it. Sometimes just waiting. Just waiting 24 hours. I'm serious. It works. It works. Just just try it. Just 24, just something simple. Say, I've got the money. I'm going to buy this, but I'm just going to wait. You know what happened half the time? You know what happened in 24 hours? I was like, you know what? I don't need that. 48 hours was like, you know what? Maybe the one we got is all right. You'd be surprised sometimes if you just wait it out. Just wait it out. I, I'm, I'm very, I, I can sometimes be an impulsive shopper. Anybody like me? I, I, have, to, I have to watch myself because I, I, be I can be very impulsive. You get in a good mood, right? You just, you just start running somewhere. You got a little cash. Like, oh, there we go. I'm going to pick that up. I'm not looking at you, Charlie. I'm, I'm not blaming you, man. So <laughs> She said, he don't do that. She won't let him do it. I'm impulsive. And sometimes I'm that way because I want to bless people too, you know. And I'm like, oh, can I, you know. And sometimes I do that. But I've had to learn how to wait. Because what God is, what God is trying to get me to understand is to think about my tomorrow. Because my tomorrow is just not connected to me. And my tomorrow is just not connected in my money, Right? I can't have roasters in Starbucks every day. I can't have Baskin and Robbins every. Se- I can't do, I could do it, but I can't do it, right? Because my tomorrow says, all right, Terrence, when you're 60 years old, you're going to have a nice little bill here that your body's going to be paying, Right? For five, six shots of coffee or whatever it is, and, and ice cream and all that. When you're 20 and you're 25, man, I'm telling you, you ain't even thinking about that. When you're 15, I went and played basketball about two months ago, and I was just like, yep, that's what 18 looks like. That's it right there. That's 18. That's, that's 18. That's 20. That's it. I, that's not me. I can't do it. It just relates to everything. What about, what about my marriage? What about my relationships? What about what I give to God? I don't want to be like, God, 10, 20 years later, man, I didn't, I didn't do what I wanted to do. I didn't do that ministry. I didn't give my best because I was so worried about this, and I put my money into this, and I put my energy and my time into something that wasn't going to last. He's the God of your tomorrow. Let me leave, leave you this last text just going back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Jesus says it. Therefore, let's read together. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You might be saying to me, Pastor, you're right. I got enough trouble today. I'm in a bad situation. But can I just tell you that Jesus is the God of your tomorrow? In fact, the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's a healer, he's a deliverer, he's a restorer. Write this one down. He's a provider. He'll take care of you. Put yourself in the position say, God, I trust you. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen next. But you know what? I surrender to you. And there's people in this church. There's there's a a friend of mine in this church um, who's gone through some stuff. and, and And there were some things that they weren't even expecting was going to happen. And it happened. It was a huge financial burden to it. But I'm so encouraged by the fact that they're still here. I'm so encouraged by the fact that they didn't give up. But they said, God, I'm going to trust you every step of the way. I'm not going to live in my past. I'm not going to dwell too much in my future. I'm not going to be just completely ignorant of either one of those. But I'm not going to worry about it. Gonna live to, for today. I'm gonna build for today. I'm gonna live for today. I'm gonna do what God told me to do today. And the God of tomorrow is the same God that's in my today and the same God that's in my past that kept me from losing it two years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. It's the same God that kept us together 10 years ago. He can keep us together today. He can make us thrive in the future. When God is on your side, nobody else can be against you. Do not equate this earthly wealth to the heavenly wealth that he has stored for you. Sometimes it's better for you to be by yourself and be in your right mind and eat that peanut butter and top ramen like you used to do back in Sittner Hall and go back to those days and handle your business and say God, I'm going to let you be God of my today so that you can be God of my tomorrow. And there's no darkness. There's no situation that is too dark for you. to not break through you've got hope come on you've got hope I'm not just saying like I didn't know I didn't know retirement was going to be like this I I thought I was going to have this worked out I don't know what's going to happen you got hope I wish I had all the perfect answers, but I I just want to encourage you to just let God be the God of your today. And sometimes God tells you to do crazy stuff. He tells you to be generous when you don't want to be generous. He tells you to do crazy stuff like give this. He tells you to give a tithe and offering faithfully. Like that doesn't make sense financially. God says, I know it doesn't make sense financially, but every single time you do that, you tell your devourer that, no, I'm trusting in God. And that all this money that I have doesn't belong to me. You know what was interesting to me? I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave you with this one. Then I'll let the band play. Had a breakthrough a couple of years ago. Because, you know, as pastors, we, in, in, our, in our structure, we are paid from the tithe, right? Whatever people give, that's what, we're, that's what our salary comes from through the, the conference through your giving. We're paid from the tithe. And so, you know, we have to, to tithe. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> like, we have to tithe. They know if we're not tithing. And I used to didn't like that. You know, it's kind of like, man, you guys are all in my business. Like, what if I don't, you know. But you know what I realized? What helped me? Because I used to think, well, okay, this is my tithe, and I'm going to set that aside for God. And God was like, wait a minute. Every dollar that you get, Terrence Taylor, is tithe. Every dollar that you receive is because somebody else gave to me in faith. So, so let me just explain something to you, Terrence. Like, you can't waste any of it. You don't have disposable income. Every dollar you receive has been given by someone who gave it in faith. There was somebody who didn't have it, and they gave it anyway. And they gave it, and it trickled down for you to serve that person. So you can't do that. And I would venture to say that all of us are in the same position. Because God has blessed us, he's provided for us, and he's saying, guess what? If you give it all to me, not, no, wait a minute, not give it all to me like a tithing offering, I'm just saying. If you say, Lord, all of I, what I have belongs to you, and it's here for your purpose, you just show me what to do with it. You just show me how to spend it. I want to pray for you, then I'm gonna, we're going gonna to say, Father, I want to pray today for someone who feels in hope, who feels their courage coming back, who feels their strength being built up today. They're encouraged because, Lord, they might be in a dark season. They might be in a dark place, and they're like, Lord, I don't know how we're going to get out. Someone might be listening to this and just wondering, I need some help, and there's plenty of help, and there's plenty of resources, and there's a place that can help us. But, Lord, I just pray today that your Holy Spirit might pierce the hearts of many to just let them know that you are the God of their today and their tomorrow, and they don't have to worry about it, but to put their trust in you. I pray for deliverance. I pray for financial healing. I pray for help. I pray for decisions to be made right now that are healthy, that are beneficial, and that are kingdom-building. And I pray today, Lord, that this might bless someone, that someone would leave here today feeling free, feeling hopeful, and feeling encouraged.